Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Previously on the Mike Wise Show. People still give Danny Ainge a hard time. He didn't go to that show. Where where was he? I don't know. I just remember the guys that went, it was was myself, um, I believe Parrish, Bird, Wedman, McHale, um, I think Dennis Johnson may have gone. Yeah. Um, DJ. Jerry Jerry Seasting and there may have been there may have been one other guy, maybe been like Greg Kite or somebody like that. But uh for, you know, it was just a very interesting <clears throat> cultural experience too. You know, if you hadn't been to a Grateful Dead show and you go to your first one with Bill Walton. I mean and Bill played the drums um you in know the show? for the for the Walton no 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 no. Um in a show back in the seventies over in Egypt, you know, in the pyramids. Um I don't know if there's any YouTube video of it, but it but it, it it did happen. I talked to him about it. That was Dallas Mavericks head coach Rick Carlisle from back in August of 2019 talking about how his Celtics teammate, Bill Walton, took the team on a long, strange trip from Boston to Worcester, Mass, to see the Grateful Dead. Bill joins us today with stories about basketball, society, life, the dead, and so much more. But first, darling, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Welcome, Bill Walton. Somebody I've been yeah, here we go. I'm Bill. I'm in San Diego. I'm alive. <laughs> I'm married to Lori. I live in my hometown. Bob Dylan's coming out with a new album in a couple of days. Rough and rowdy days, emblematic of what we're living through. I am ready to go. I'm the luckiest guy in the world to be on the Mike Wise Show. Oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Bill. Uh, you're friends with my producer Bruce Bernstein and. I feel he's, like, my, he's my oldest son. He's my, uh, we're, we're more than friends. The guy saved my life. I came back there to uh, Connecticut and ESPN. This was a while ago. It must have been 15 years ago. Yeah. Lord, moved back there. and I didn't know anything or anybody. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce Bernstein just took me under his wing. His family, Nancy Mitchell, his parents, all his mm. high school and college buddies. The community, it was fantastic mm. at the time of my life. I just wish I could have done a better job. But that's really the story of my life. I have <laughs> not, been, I have not uh, been able to get the job done. That's what, why I'm here today, to try to make amends, to try to do something positive, to make a significant mm. contribution to moving things to a better place. My, my son... My son, Bill, I'm an old dad. Unlike you, you're, you're, uh, you, you got, you had kids when you were younger. I, I'm an old dad. I have a nine-year-old now, Oliver. And he said to me, and he said to me on the, 
on um, during the last time he remembers you uh, doing a college basketball game. He goes, Dad, that guy, he knows basketball. He's pretty funny, too. He goes, he's a good announcer. And I'm going, he's one of the greatest players of all time. I th- I'm amazed about how many people just think it's like Charles Barkley. Everybody thinks that they're, they're pundits and announcers now. And, like, people forget that you're a great player. And I look at the current state of affairs in the USA and the NBA, I think people even forget that, you were very pro-social activism back in the day, and I think part of you must really enjoy what you're seeing. Um, if there's a blessing in disguise to all this chaos, it's you know from Muhammad Ali to Bill Russell to Kareem to you yourself and Colin Kaepernick and now LeBron. There's really people are using the the game as a tool to do more than just money and fame. Well, it's the ultimate platform. And I've never been more proud to be associated with the NBA. This is my 46th year. I do not have an official position, but once you're in the NBA, you're there forever. And I stand. I stand with Greg Popovich. I stand with Steve Kerr. I stand with Kareem. I stand with Jalen Brown. I stand with Malcolm Brogdon. I stand with all the guys, Damian and Giannis, and all the different guys who are out there trying to get the job done, trying to use the disruptive nature of life. Now, in disruption, which is something that can go both ways, I'm always looking, and when I stand at the fork in the road, I stand there and I, I always try to choose the most positive and the most inclusive and the most credible and the most valuable and the most integral part of the direction that I choose to go in. Now, there's always the other direction. And we see that. We see that constantly with the lies and the deception and the hypocrisy and all the different things, the corruption that goes on uh, on a constant basis and, and, and the battle that we fight all the time. I, I'm currently uh, reading an outstanding book uh, by Jill Lepore, a Harvard history professor. It's called These Truths. And it's mm. just absolutely remarkable here. Uh, to throw out some other books here for the reading list for the assignment today and The Wise Show, uh, The Children by David <laughs> Halberstam, Dark Money, Jane Mayer, The Believer by David Axelrod, It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis, Zucked with a Z by Roger McNamee, FDR, A Political Life by Robert Dalek, who was one of the history professors at UCLA when I was there, a recent uh, uh, book about the life of FDR, and then Jill Lepore, These Truths. and the, these, are, these are all the books you've read, read recently? Recently, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I read constantly. I'm the son of a librarian. We grew up in a household that did not have a television. We couldn't afford one at the beginning. We lived on the edge, and both my parents worked. My dad was a social worker, an adult educator, and a music teacher. My mom was our town's librarian. And, you know, we lived paycheck to paycheck. We didn't have any material anything. But we had everything. We had everything in our lives. We had family, and we had a home, and we had food. Now, I was always hungry, (laughs) always in my (laughs) life. My brother would steal my food, my older brother, Bruce, who you guys have met. Bruce recently passed away in October. That's right. And and so, anyway, my mom, who was under constant pressure, because she worked, both my parents just worked constantly to, to give their four children a better life, a better chance. And uh, but we, we would always bug our parents, come on, man, we want to have a TV. We want to buy a TV so we can be cool like everybody else. And my mom would always answer, 
Like, you guys want to eat or do you want to watch TV? Well, I, I tried not eating, and I could never get comfortable with it. But I had I had everything in my life. My parents yeah. loved me more than they cared about themselves. My teachers and coaches, they were all disciples of John Wooden. And, and my heroes and role models, they stood for more than just stuff. You mentioned a couple of them earlier. Yeah. Kareem, Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, uh, Arthur Ashe, uh, and so many of them with the direct mm. ties to UCLA. And then on the musical side, and, and Bob Dylan with the new album coming out, and the two interviews that he's given for this upcoming album, one in the New York Times just the other day, and then uh, one that just came out in Rolling Stone magazine, just absolutely brilliant. Well, the one in Rolling Stone magazine is the writer's interpretation of what the songs are. And, and that's always a, a dangerous path to go down, to try to explain, <laughs> to try to explain what somebody else is thinking. And, yeah. and what somebody, who somebody else is, and but but mm-hmm. I'm so I, I'm super lucky. Uh, my health is good. Yeah. My health is better than it's ever been since I was 13 years old. Uh, Lori is fantastic. This incredible angel of mercy who is the best human being that's ever been in my life. I can't believe how lucky I am. Our four, excuse me, our six children. Because mm-hmm. when my brother died, he had two children and grandchildren as well. So we adopted all of them. So now mm. have, we, have, we have six children and we have 14 grandchildren. And that includes the one that's on the way and uh, soon to be born, hopefully in October. You met, oh, you met Lori at a Grateful Dead show, if I remember. I met, I met Lori in church. And I was. Well, so I, so once again, my crack research team has failed me. You met well, her at church? I met her in church, yes. And I was there uh, seeking redemption and salvation. And I, uh, I I was wandering aimlessly in the desert with uh, no purpose in my life and, and, and no direction home. And, and all of a sudden, I, I looked, and there she was, standing this golden shaft of light. And it was just incredible, and it was love at first sight. I've met her. I've met her. You're right. I cannot speak. I cannot speak for Lori. I do not speak for other people. I speak for myself. And But I am uh, more and I am more in love with my wife, madly in love with my wife today, 31 years after we got married, than I was the day that I first saw her. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I love what? my wife. I love being alive, and I love riding my bike, mm-hmm. and I love all the different things that we're doing. And I appreciate everything that the people of the world are doing to try to make things better right now. Bill Walton has always tried to make the world a better place through charitable work and simply spreading a message of love, justice, and inclusion. Recently, and combined that love of bike riding and the need to help those affected by the COVID-19 crisis into an event called Bike for Humanity. And it wasn't just a one-time ride. Over $100,000 was raised back in late April, and another ride is scheduled for July 25th. To learn more, participate, or donate, please go to bikeforhumanity.com. From what, from way back when, you were a bike rider, even in college, and this Bike for Humanity thing has really taken oh, off. I think, it's, just a, I think yeah. it's a great thing. It's a separate put-together promoting health, hope, community, and service. I'm, go, I'm on the website right now, Bill. I want to say that's you and Danny Bonaducci from the Partridge family. Is that correct? Uh, no. Who's Danny Bonaducci? Into the red-haired guy. Who's the guy you're? You, there's this big. There's this guy that your your hands are up with, and he, he and and uh, he's got like long red hair. And um, let's see. It's. I'd uh, have to see the. I'd have to see the. Yeah. Back. Okay. 
I cannot see what I cannot see what you're thinking. Yeah, I, I know. He's got a beard. He's got it looks a little like Jerry Garcia too, but but um he's got and when you shake your head, I can't hear the rattle. Okay. So, all right. But, but I love my bike and bike for humanity is fantastic. It's an ongoing entity. We started it out as an immediate response to COVID nineteen, which has completely disrupted everything and changed it and our ability to persevere through these ongoing challenges, the challenges of COVID-19, the economic collapse, the racial inequality that is destroying our world, and then you have the ongoing challenges of climate change, which we have to address uh, on a constant basis. And and that's really what I do all the time. So I've never been busier in my life. I've never been healthier since I was 13. I already said that again when I start repeating myself. Just cut me off and tell me to move on. <laughs> not and, you. And I, we never cut you off, Bill. I haven't been this happy. I, I, I'm not sure I've ever been this happy in my life. Although wow. you know, the, the, the challenges of overcoming the depressing news uh, and it's, it's very difficult to do, but it's something that we have to do. And I have mm-hmm. learned in the course of my life, a life that has seen me spend half of my adult life in the hospital, all of my adult life until my spine surgery, February 8, 2009. Not that mm-hmm. I remember the date, but I'm all better <laughs> that from that now. And But that took a good four and a half years uh, out of my life. But uh, I, I, I'm just, I have learned from all these times. This is the 21st time of having to start completely over in my life. And the perseverance and, and the disruption, mm-hmm. all the different things, I have learned that you know when you wake up in the middle of the night when you're sitting there and you're reading all this this awful news that uh, as, as a poet yes it's good to think about it yes it's good to reflect on it yes it's a, uh, it's good to internalize it personalize it but the most important thing is to act on it and that's what I try to do all the time and so you know getting the food to the people who are hungry trying to work on rebuilding the economy, what we're doing here in San Diego and in California. And then a, a, a constant basis to try to help the medical providers, to help the people who are going out there and risking their lives, these frontline workers every single day. But also the different uh, sports and bicycling programs we're involved in, all the corporate different work I'm doing. And, and then, uh, yeah. but you know, at this point, you know, it, it's a whole new world out there for all of us. And fortunately, we have uh, some great leaders out there because, you know, what the NBA has done with their own websites, putting out at the very top of NBA.com, it goes uh, the NBA together, which is absolutely out in front. And their, their, our willingness to stand up and say, hey, black lives do matter. And, and all the different things that go on because we have such a level of inequality in our world right now that that, that is just destroying so many oh. of us and it and, and it, it, it encompasses everything the the inequality just, in, in health opportunity the economic inequality the social inequality the mass incarceration oh. and it's just it, it's yeah. staggering it's overwhelming but it cannot be ignored and it cannot be pushed aside and it cannot wait yeah when people don't don't have the belief that we're actually doing something and i've been so inspired by the protesters out there and by the Mm -hmm. demonstrations now 
I abhor and I and I disagree vehemently uh, with uh, with police brutality and with racism and with violence. I'm just uh, absolutely opposed to all of that stuff. I what about our president? What about our president? Do you disagree? I, I, with I, come, I come from the world of of peace and love and. Uh, Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela and Mahatma Gandhi. And when I look at leadership, when I look at leadership, I look at the responsibility, the obligation to pull the team together. And, uh, and when you act as a, as a united front and address the challenges and the problems we have as opposed to creating problems, and that's all those books I, I, I talked about. Yeah, no, you're a believer. It can't happen here. So yeah. truth. I mean, that's the story there. It, it, it lays out the story, but it also lays out the people who fought tirelessly and endlessly. And on these truths, Joe Lafour, I'm just at the part of the book where they're just uh, where President Lincoln just got assassinated. And he was the first uh, first uh, president to be assassinated in, in our lifetime. And when I lived through the assassinations of the 60s with uh, JFK yeah. and with Malcolm X and with MLK and with RFK. Bobby Kennedy. I mean, was, that was, uh, yeah, what a, I mean, that's, that's the closest thing I can, and I was four or five, but, but I, that's it, when it, you, you sort of, um, I guess, consume all these images and see all the, and your dad and everybody else tells you about what happened and, and you're all of a sudden you feel like you're back there. I feel like this is the, there's a flashpoint here and it's the closest thing to the sixties in many, in many ways where our country is waking up in a really violent and ugly way. But, but there's also an enlightenment that's happening that hasn't happened since then. Is that, is that too much to throw out there or do you feel that given no, that you, you no, experience it? It's, it is similar. There are significant differences mm. and because uh, with Vietnam, with the war, with the draft, which changed everything. And there was not the incredible income inequality at that time. And uh, that really started to change in my life, in our world in 1980, when everybody, when the people who took over just said, hey man, greed is good. And we're, economics. Going, we're going for everything ourselves. And I think that one of the important things is to realize that including the racial aspects of all this is the economic disparities. And that's what, you know, when Martin Luther King pivoted to that uh, from just, uh, just being a racial thing, which is huge and don't ever discount the racial history, the tragic racial history of our country, which is laid out brilliantly by Jill Lepore in these truths. David Halberstam, the same thing. David Axelrod, the believer. And then, all the different things that go down here, but then you also had at, at, at those times the, the leaders who were who we were demonstrating again against. They still believed in the institutions of our country, mm. and when you read what's going down right now, and and you correlate that to the story that Jill Lepore tells in these truths, whoa, it's like yeah. yeah. What is the great yeah, thing of because we always we, we always say, Mike, that it, it, it's not how far we've come, it's how far we still have to go. Hmm. And then when you read back of the history and the and it and, and that's why I'm just 
never been more proud of Kareem, who was the greatest yeah. player. Well, was, I was, greatest player I ever played against by far. But, you know, just, you know, he is becoming like John Wooden. As great a player as he was, and John Wooden was the greatest player of his day, they went on to become more impactful and yeah. have more influence on the world than than they ever did as players. I and, agree. And so it's just, uh, it, you so, know, it, it's, it's inspiring, but it, but they're not alone, and we stand with them. And what the coaches in the NBA, with the National Basketball Coaches mm. Association, headed by Rick Carlisle, one of my old teammates there. <laughs> we got a great Carlisle story later. And then the, the you know, the, the, the racial yeah. profiling that goes on, the weaponization. No, it's of, awful. Of, of racism, and I saw I I, I saw the, the the wonderful interview that John Stewart just gave about his upcoming movie, and mm-hmm. this guy just that John Stewart who is just tremendous in every way. He yeah he he, he told the story that that you know the Chris Rock said you know how many how many people of color would you be willing to change place with, and you know in, in your life because of what we do as a community, as a country, as a world to people of color. And, and that's just not right. And, 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 and the whole founding of the mm. theoretical founding of our country was on the equality of humanity. Improving humanity has always been important to Bill Walton and has long been on the agenda of the leadership at the NBA as well. Under Commissioner Adam Silver and the late David Stern before him, the league has always worked for social justice through NBA Cares and other charitable works. When I interviewed David back in October of 19, I asked him what he was most proud of from his 30 years as commissioner, and his answer came as no surprise. Well, I would say that's at the top of it, the fact yeah. that these players are recognized as upstanding members of their communities, the fact that they're charitably inclined when mm. I see what they've done in their foundations in their day-to-day living they we've there's been a real change uh and it's and it's great one of the great things endless list of great things and we always come back to david stern who to me is the most important man in the history of basketball but david, right, stern, D- uh, david stern he he knew that that basketball yes was a business that he made out of the game but he also knew the social responsibility of business to drive the world to a better place. And when I was privileged to be there at David Stern's funeral at Radio City Music Hall in January, I believe it was. Yep. Yeah, we were, Bruce and I were there too. What an amazing event. I was sitting, I was sitting with uh, Kareem and Oscar Robertson and Earl Monroe and uh gosh i think yao ming was in that row anyway there yeah. was a, we are in the front row there and we just all kept looking at each other because the, the event the celebration of david's life and the memories were not uh, about basketball they were all about the things that he mm-hmm. did credibility integrity inclusiveness wmba and and and, 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 and and saving the world, and it was just yeah. absolutely spectacular. No, and now was, Adam Silver just carried it on. I was so glad to attend that. Well, I love that you gave us a reading list, and we'll put that up with the podcast yeah. because last week uh, uh, Garrett Temple was really kind enough to 
basically say, look, me and a friend have put together a list of what, you know, here's some black African-American movies, black movies about the black experience and some reading that we think would be good for people, especially that, that aren't of color to see. And he gave us this right. whole, and I thought to myself, wow. And at one point I said, you know, look, I've been an ally in many ways over the years and I've always had all these, you know, these beliefs. What can I do to help? And he said, you know, ask questions of your friends that happen to be black. Do you ever have these kind of questions with, you know, these these conversations with Kareem? Like, hey, Kareem, I'm white. Uh, how, how can I better help the cause of making this a better country and more equal? I try. Yeah. I try in every relationship that I have. And I remember, you know, growing up here in San Diego, I thought the world was perfect. Yeah. And we, we, we had uh, incredible lives and, and opportunity and you know everybody was going and we were high school zone we're all in it together and i got to ucla and it was even better there and and then on and on and then i you know i get to the nba and i was uh, i was shocked i was shocked about a lot of different things but one of the things that totally blew me away was uh, two of my best friends on the team lionel hollins and lenny wilkins the challenges that they were having with the fans in, in Portland, and it was just very, very tough and very. Oh, I didn't painful. even know that back in the back in the seventies. Yeah, well, there were you know comments from the crowd like you know you, you know mm -hmm. you guys would be a lot better if you had a different skin color, and that and it's just like oh. it, it just catches you like wait a second, what are you talking about? And uh, mm -hmm. and it's just it's just heart wrenching, heartbreaking, and. Uh, mm -hmm. Fortunately, I'm, I'm uh, closer to Lionel and, and Lenny than I've ever been, and uh, just it's been a. Uh, I don't know if you ever read Lenny Wilkins' book Unguarded. But I that did. Was, that was a fantastic book, mm -hmm. and then Lionel Hollins is just one of the great ones. In fact, I would put him uh, on the on the uh, on the seventies, uh, uh, you know, all USA team for the uh, mm -hmm. for the Olympics. If we had had the rules, I would have had. I would have had uh, from the 70s, because we always hear about the dream team from the 92 team. But uh, but uh, my my dream, this is off the top of my head here, so if I leave somebody out. I love these lists. Okay, so this list would be at the center position, we'd have Kareem and Wilt. Okay. At the, at the power forward position, we'd have Maurice Lucas and Elvin Hayes. And at the uh, 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 guard position, we would have, or the small forward position, we would have uh, Dr. J, Rick Berry, and John Havlicek. Oh. And, then at the, and then at the guards, we would have uh, Oscar and Jerry, who were in the early part of the 70s. And then we'd have Walt Frazier, who was phenomenal. Pistol Pete, George Gervin. Gus Williams. Uh, no, no, well, uh, I'm, I'm talking about the national team. For the okay, okay. And, and this is my list. You can have your own list, man. So, uh, <laughs> and then, and then, for some backup guys, because you always have to have reserves, if, you know, when guys get hurt. So at the center position, I, I would have uh, Dave Cowens and Nate Thurman. Yeah, Thurman. Then, I would put Thurman. And I would have uh, Dennis Johnson and Lionel Hollins on there, who were just absolute winners. And uh, and we'd be fine. We'd be fine. Uh, Willis Reed, Wes Unseld. How about Bill Walton? Doesn't he get a we you were are, MVP one year? You You took the Blazers to the title. You, you don't put yourself in those conversations. That's that's just. Right. That, that, that's I still think you're the greatest. I still think you're the greatest interior passer of my lifetime um, over six feet, uh, nine inches tall. 
those are the days that used to be. And I always look to tomorrow. I, I, I remember yesterday and try to learn from it. I dream about tomorrow, okay. but I try to make each day my masterpiece and try to make yep. that positive contribution to, to listen, to understand, to, to have the, have the yeah. and, 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 and understand that this all comes down to kindness, generosity, empathy, sympathy, and the ability to instill dignity in the lives of others. And that's what the NBA has always meant to mm. me as a reflection of the real world and the challenges I, that we face. Okay, are we going to run? Are we going to hide? Are we going to stand up here and take care of business? And what I love to see about what's going on right now with the NBA is that the way the different owners have come to the front here. And oh. when you see... When you see Mark Cuban, Steve Ballmer, Joe Sy, Wick Grosbeck, Mark Lazary, and Vivek Ranadive out there literally every single day trying to pull the business community together, try to pull their respective universes and worlds together, it is so inspiring and so appreciated out there. Yes. Because this is, this is something that's going to take – it's like everything. It takes all of what you have on a constant basis, and it, 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 it's never easy. And every time you get close to making some successes, there's always some setbacks. There's always more problems that arise, and that's when you got to come and bring it every single day. Well, that's what Kareem did, Russell did. That's what uh, uh, Larry and Michael did every time out there, and LeBron does that yes. on a constant basis. And, and you know, and, and just to see these guys doing it on a constant basis, and never forget the, the mantra that you can't finish unless you start. So let's get going out there. Let's leave these zombie ideas behind and yeah. get rid of the inequality and in wealth and housing and employment, education, environment, and the judicial system, all of us across the board. At the beginning of the show, Mavericks coach Rick Carlisle, former teammate and longtime friend of Bill, discussed his love of the Grateful Dead. <laughs> Here's more from Rick about how the team that would win the 1986 NBA championship Bonded on that night with Walton as the catalyst. Yeah, that was in, uh, let's see, that was in the fall of 85. And the show was in Worcester. Yep. And so, uh, you know, Bill went over there early in the afternoon. He he, he got the stage all set up. He got it set up so <laughs> that I, I, think, I think eight of us went over for the, uh, for the show. And we were basically sitting – you know, um, on stage, side stage, whatever you want to call it, watching. And then there was a, then there was an intermission, um, which there always were, were in dead shows over the years. And uh, so, you know, we were back there in a room with, you know, Bob Weir and Garcia, Jerry Garcia and Mickey Hart and Billy Kreutzman and Phil Lesh and, oh, you know, all those, all those guys um, hanging out, Shooting the shit. It was it was really interesting. And look, the, the Grateful Dead. I did not I did not know their music much at that point in time. But yeah. um, that was a great show. And you know now, look, I'm a I'm a big fan of of you know kind of hardcore jazz. But but the other thing that I really love is I love listening to the to the Dead on um, on on XM channel 23. I mean, you know, I. <laughs> You I was that. I probably I probably went to 25 Grateful Dead shows over a period of about 10 years and uh after Walton took oh, you Oh sure yeah So, so Bill, Bill Walton introduced you to the Grateful Bill, Dead Bill got it started 
You became a deadhead after Walton brought you. Yeah, sure. Of course. And Rick Carlin came on a while back. Cool. It's yep. a great story about you taking the entire Celtics team in 85 to the dead. Yeah, um, well, everybody except Danny Ainge. Yeah. I mean, well, what was, was what happened to Ainge? Why didn't he go? His wife wouldn't let him come, Michelle. What? Uh, uh, you know, Michelle said, no, you're thought, not going you thought he was, She thought you were going to give him acid or something? Why? Oh, well, you know, the... Uh, Michelle and I went to the same high school, although I'm significantly older than yeah. Michelle is. Uh, she, she was not she's there. A, she's a Helix, Helix High person, too. Helix Highlander. And the, the same with Pat Riley's wife, Chris. She ah. went to Helix. When Pat came here in uh, the expansion San Diego Rockets in 1967, he was a huge, huge star. And he met this beautiful young lady from Helix High School named Chris. And they've been happily married ever since. <laughs> and, uh, and Danny's happily married to his wife from Helix High School. And I'm happily married to my wife. She did not want him to go to the dead. You, t you talk about happiness. Happiness is the result of your health, of your family, of your safety, of your sanctuary, your security, of, the, uh, of your home, of the safe place you can go to regroup and recharge and rethink and get started again. And then that, all of that leads to the hope and dream that tomorrow is going to be better. And that's why I also urge people to read Hope Dies Last, uh, a book from a while back by Studs Terkel. Uh, Studs was just an incredible genius, and I had the privilege of, of, of knowing Studs in, in my early days in the NBA, going to Chicago all the time. Blazers, Bulls in the 70s. You guys are too young, man. That was wild as can be. But Studs was always around, and we used to talk, and I read all his books. And But Hope Dies Last, which is you know the, the, the ultimate story of, you know, without hope, you're not going to make it. And that's one yeah. of the reasons why I choose to be on your show. Because I know that Mike Wise yeah. and Bruce Bernstein have always been stand-up guys who have always been aware that we need more than just words. We need oh, to have action. And we need to have all different kinds of things in our life that are concrete examples of what we are doing this moment to make the world a better place. And that's why the Wise show is where I tune in <laughs> to get all my and Rick Carlisle, who also is a great piano player himself, he went on, Rick Carlisle did, to uh, his first date with his wife, Lori, uh, with his wife, my wife is Lori, with his wife, Donna. Rick's first date with Donna okay. was, was to a Grateful Dead concert. Oh, that's was beautiful. One of the wildest times ever. If you have time, I can tell you real quick that story or not. Go for right. it. Okay. So I get a call. This is after what I was. Yeah, the Celtics, as I knew it, you know, I was already gone. I was already broken down and couldn't really go anymore. My body just would not work. And so I was in San Diego, and it was in the fall or something, I think. And I get a call. And this is pre-cell phone or anything. And so I get a call from Rick. I said, Bill, man, here, I got. I met this girl. I really want to marry this girl, Bill. And I said, great, go, go marry her. It's fantastic. He said, no, man, Bill, I'm in Washington, D.C., where she's living. And the Grateful Dead are playing here at the Landover Center. Or Capital Center out in Landover, and and uh, Bill, uh, can can you get me tickets to this sold out? It's always sold out. I said, Bill, Rick, there's no way that the concert's going to start in a couple of hours. You know, I I had the itinerary. They would always mail me the, the in those days the printed itineraries. The Grateful Dead would, and so I looked, and it was indeed a show, and it was going to start that night. But there was no phone number. Nobody ever had phones, in, in, you know, in those days. Ever right, it's the 80s. There's no cell. Yeah. 
And so I said, Rick, here's what he said, what do I do? I said, Rick, just go. I said, I can't do that. I don't have any tickets. I'm trying to impress this girl. I said, Rick, just go, go to the back door, knock on the door, and ask for Ramrod. He said, that'll never work. Ramrod? Said, just try it. Sounds so like a porn goes, star. Who's Ramrod? Uh, Ramrod, uh, that, that's another story for another show. Anyway, right. So I, I said, ask for Ramrod at the back door. So Rick goes, and he somehow works his way all the way to the back door, bangs on the door, some big big burly dude comes and answers the door and uh, says, what do you want? Who are you? And, and, and this and junk Donna is just like quivering. He's like, what are we doing? We don't have tickets. We don't have anything. You're knocking on the back door. Just, and Rick said very sheepishly, is Ramrod there? Is Ramrod here? And he's that big burly security guy. goes, hmm, hmm, hold on. Who are you and what do you want? My name is Rick Carlisle, and Bill Walton told me to come and knock at the back door and ask for Ramrod. The guy looked at him, growled, snarled, hold on a second. And he <laughs> closes the door and comes back a couple minutes later, and Ramrod is right there with him. And Ramrod, he walks Rick and Donna in, takes him right up on the stage, and puts him about four feet from the side of Jerry oh. Garcia. And they just sat there in the golden shaft of light all night long. Golden and shaft Rick, of and, light. Rick and Donna are happily oh. and, you know, leading the NBA Coaches Association. <laughs> of all of the guys, I mean, Rick Carlisle, that may be the greatest success story of all. Of, uh, of what he's such a straight shooter. I would have thought him for, you know, Barry Manilow or something. But no, the, no, the, no, Barry, went Barry, to the dead. No, we love Barry Manilow too, man. We, are, we oh, like yeah. all the music. I yeah. love music. That was dope. Shocker. Bill Walton is not at a loss for words. He has plenty to say about the NBA resuming play, his relationship with John Wooden, who I think is the greatest coach of all time, his dear friend, the late Maurice Lucas, playing with Larry Bird, the Birdman, Bob Dylan's new album, and so much more. That's all coming up next week when we present part two of our long, strange trip with Bill Walton on the Mike Wise Show. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Please check out our other Pure Hoops Media shows. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams, which drops every Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin every Wednesday. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt every Thursday. And the Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman every Friday. Please check them out. Give them a five-star review if you like them. And remember to be kind to each other. Listen to opposing views and understand that when it comes to issues of equality and race, we've got a lot more in common than we have differences. Continue to take the COVID-19 virus seriously. Wear your mask, practice physical distancing, wash your hands. And remember, we are all in this together. Until next week, when we present part two of the Bill Walton conversation, peace. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.